Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day by the actress Katherine Hepburn. If you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. In today's episode, we have a little bit of fun. I break the rules of how I edit the episodes to give you a little behind-the-scenes look to our conversation when it's not so perfect and we're just having fun. But more importantly, the conversation today talks about how we might need to break away from the standard, break away from the rules, the training, the strict models that we have to start thinking about our profession with different perspectives, to look into the future a little bit and see how things might change. Dr. Downey connects this episode with last week's episode where he left off talking about how reality does not match the theories or the models that we sometimes use in our profession. He connects this topic to the training or the ongoing education that we have as interpreters. So let's join the conversation as he starts to discuss ongoing education. I think this kind of goes on to things like ongoing education. You know, we call it CPD, Continued Professional Development. Mm-hmm. In that, if you mostly view interpreting as a language profession, you're going to just want courses that make your language better. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm currently learning a, a third language at the moment. Mm-hmm. But the drawback to those classes, are, let me give you a, a really simple example. So I sat on the board of the Institute of Translation and Interpreting here in the UK for six years. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a disconnect between interpreter training, interpreter ongoing training and translator ongoing training. Ongoing training for translators, aside from the marketing businesses stuff, mm-hmm. tended to be we invite an expert in an area. So the medical translators group would invite a pathologist or a surgeon or something. And they teach them about that area. So the translators know more about that area. Mm-hmm. They're not learning words so much as they're learning, you know, if you're a, you know, where does it, how do you use an endoscope? Why do, why does, do we do an endoscope like this? Why do we do that? They're learning to think like a doctor. Mm-hmm. So when they're translating doctor stuff, they're translating it thinking like doctors. Right. They're not going to the meeting just write, writing down the French for endoscope is because the trainer might be monolingual. Mm-hmm. They may have a monolingual English doctor who's coming to a medical translation group saying, I don't know, explaining how do you use an endoscope, explaining a certain kind of heart surgery or brain surgery. There's only one language in that, in that setting, but the translators are still learning enough to understand, well, when I see the word endoscope, this is the thing it means, this is what it does, this is what I need to get across. Mm-hmm. Interpreter training tended to be, here is vocabulary for this situation. Yeah. Here is the ethics of this situation. Well, hold on a minute. We're even closer to the professionals than the translators are. Mm -hmm. So why is interpreter training 
not so much now, but certainly for for a, a long time, interpreter training was overwhelmingly vocabulary based. You know, here are all the legal terms you need to know about immigration. Mm-hmm. Why is our training overwhelmingly terminologically based when we are in the blinking situation mm-hmm. and the translators aren't, and yet theirs is situational? Here's what you do with an endoscope. Mm-hmm. Here's where, where and why we would use it. And our training is, here's lots of words for endoscope. Mm-hmm. Well, something's gone wrong there. Yeah. Should our interpreter training not be, we bring in a doctor and say, can you teach us about pediatrics? Mm-hmm. Can you teach? You know, we're not going to ask you the sign for this. We just want to be in the situation where you're doing, where you te- you're teaching us like you would teach student doctors. You're teaching us what should you look for in a patient with this kind of cancer? Mm-hmm. Because the likelihood is, especially if you're a sign language interpreter, one day you're going to come across a situation where you're in a hospital with a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. You really should have been sat be- beside a pediatrician before that, learning what pediatrics is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so I would like to see more interpreter training that has no vocab in it. Yeah. And is just, here's a, an event organized. I went to, used to go to event organizing conferences just to learn how they organized events. Mm-hmm. Finance interpreters, you should really be sitting with bankers. <laughs> you know, pick a specialism, even if you know you're going to do a whole load of other works. Mm-hmm. Right. I need, to, I need to work out how this thing works so that when I'm interpreting for a patient who's never seen a, a neurosurgeon before, mm-hmm. I know enough about neurosurgery that I can interpret in a way that makes sense both to the neurosurgeon who needs this information and the patient who needs completely different information. Yeah. Yeah. It's learning more about the schemas that we're not used to. Yeah. It helps us be more comfortable in the setting, understand what the goals might be, all of that. And as a sign language interpreter, it gives us an understanding of the space to use. All of that will help us impart the message. So maybe, and I've, I say this as someone who's been paid to do training before, and I, I say this slightly guardedly, maybe we should set a budget that only, say, 50% of our interpreter training comes from fellow interpreters. Mm-hmm. That we say 50% of our training is going to be from external experts who we ask, you know, at the moment I'm talking to theologians quite a lot and trying to get around church ministers' looks. I want mm-hmm. to do more church interpreting. Mm-hmm. I need to know how pastors are making decisions on a week-to-week basis um, thankfully, I already know the sermon preparation stuff, but I don't know about it in every tradition. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I might need to sit with a Catholic priest and say, how do you prepare your homily? Oh, I need to know that it's a homily in the Catholic Church, not a sermon. Yeah. That's that, I, you know, you need to sit down with people and go, so why do you do it like that? Why does it come here? Mm-hmm. Or even just get them to train you, say, imagine that I'm a first year student in your specialism. What would you teach me in an hour? Mm-hmm. That's something that we need to learn as interpreters is that we need the experts. Yeah. I'm researching how interpreting works, especially within churches. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to go to the organizational level of how do organizations use this and how can they use it more effectively in their terms. Mm-hmm. Probably the, the two most interesting results from my research is one, if you understand why the interpreting is happening, you can automatically understand what's going to be expected of the interpreters. So the why matters more than we ever realize. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that we can be very short-sighted as interpreters and think about this line, this interaction, this event. Mm-hmm. And actually interpreting always has an organizational function. And so if we understand 
we're interpreting as functioning in the organization, we can do a lot better job of what we're trying to do. I spent my entire PhD looking at expectations of interpreters and realized that what I was actually looking at was the position of interpreting within the organization. Within the organization that we're interpreting for, you mean? Yeah. So, so for example, if a church is having interpreting on a Sunday, are they doing it because they need it? Because they feel they need it? Are they doing it because they feel it's valuable for the future of the church? Are they doing it because they don't feel that they have a choice? Is there some political or symbolic meaning to it? Mm -hmm. You understand that, you, you get everything else. We tend to think about, you know, when am I supposed to turn up? Uh, who are the speakers? Are, are there going to be any technical terms? Or hold on a minute. Yeah, let's go bigger. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to, in my own interpreting and in my own work now, think at that higher level of, you know, what's this organization doing with this interpreting? Yeah. And to start from the point that the very existence of interpreting is meaningful in itself and has a symbolic meaning in itself. Once you get that into your head, you realize that the rest kind of tumbles down. So, so I'm trying to, to go up a level from where, where we normally think. And the, the other outcome was we don't know nearly as much as we think we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, what? No, anyway. <laughs> I thought I, uh, I didn't. Okay. When I do conferences or when someone requests interpreting for some online event and I say, okay, so how many sign language users, what are they using? What country are they from? Oh, we don't know. I'm like, oh, so the real reason you want interpreters there is political or it's a symbolic gesture. And knowing that goal changes my preparation, you might say. Yes. And every interpreter I know has been used symbolically at least once. And that's a whole other podcast episode on the ethics of that. Okay, let's get some word association out of the way real quick. And then I will ask you some deep, meaningful <laughs> questions as opposed to the flippant ones that we've already done. So speaking of flippant, I'm going to ask you what I do with all of my guests I will have some word association, which will be a phrase or a word. And then you give me what comes first into your mind, okay. whether it's a word, a phrase, a story, what have you. All right. So the first comfort food, whatever my wife has just cooked, but especially if it's risotto or roast dinner, <laughs> I'm not very good at cooking. Ah, okay. The next slightly more deep ethics, massively misunderstood. Beautiful. Next word. Language. I have no idea what language is. Pet peeve. Linguistic professionals having linguistic pet peeves. We are not supposed to be prescriptivists telling people how to use language. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking right now to anyone who does translation. <laughs> we are supposed to be descriptivists who study how people use language and use our language accordingly. So please, apart from telling people off for mumbling, which is all right, please don't tell people off for the use of language. It's not cool. No. Nice. Confusing. Research. I agree. <laughs> if done properly. Andrew Chesterman once said, if your research hasn't surprised you, you haven't done good research yet. It's, it's interesting because I always wonder, so you have searched for something, now you're researching for something. <laughs> to try and find it again. To try and find it again. So that means we already knew it. So why are we doing it again? <laughs> it's confusing. No, it, it, it's recall on search. It's about searching. Ah, mm -hmm. yes, yeah, very in-depth. Okay, next, technology. Confusing. 
<laughs> do not ask a man who he loves puns to do word association because it's going to go around in the same way. Yeah, it's like it's in a circle here. Okay. Culture. What is culture? Also yogurt. I would ask attitude. Um, the, the angle that an aeroplane is making to the horizon. Beautiful. Now all the linguists are spinning in circles. Okay. Thank you very much. <clears throat> now let's get more serious. That would be a bright star in the night sky if you're in the northern hemisphere. We're a nightmare to interpret on this podcast. Yes. I, I'm very sorry to people who aren't L1 English speakers. There have been a lot of really niche English jokes here. But to be fair, the best description I've ever had of English is it's four languages in a trench coat trying to get into it somewhere. A <laughs> little bit of German, a little bit. Okay, it's like, anyway. like French, German, <laughs> Sanskrit, Arabic, Chinese. It's basically the English language is a record of all the places that English speakers have tried to conquer. Okay. <laughs> what advice would you give sign language interpreters and spoken language. <laughs> I've never met a spoken language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Does that only happen to interpreters? <laughs> like, does anyone else get into the middle of a sentence and their brain suddenly stops working? Uh, it's the worst. Have you ever interpreted and you've not been able to physically get a word out? That's. Ah. Oh, I hate that. You can do that. My, my other favorite thing is um, numbers. Mm -hmm. So I was interpreting for a Scotland France under 21 rugby match once. And with five minutes to, to go, Scotland were losing 69 points to 13. And I got to stay in the, uh, the VIP lounge. It was cold and I had to watch my voice, which was my excuse because I didn't want to go out in the cold. And uh, there were some analysts there and I said to one of the analysts, oh, it's 69-13, I really hope Scotland don't lose any more points. And he said, oh, are you worried about their, their, their mental attitude and how that will feel for them emotionally? I said, no, it's just French numbers above 69 are really hard to say quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to say 79? It's like 6010. What? What is this place? Are you laughing? Eh, if only I had some more coffee. I would be better at this editing job. So check out the links in the show notes to support the podcast, share the podcast with colleagues, and to spread the passion of our profession. Thank you. Let's go back to serious talking. So what advice would you give to sign language and spoken language interpreters when they're working in a team? I would say my advice to all interpreters is remember, this isn't about you. This is about the situation working and that might mean in a team that you pass off to the interpreter so in spoken language interpreting i have a booth mate and if there's a finance talk she's getting the finance talk because she likes them and i find finance talks incredibly taxing uh, to me doing a finance talk is the same as running an assault course that's been covered in oil it's just awful mm -hmm. So if there's a finance talk, I give it to my booth mate. If, however, there's a very artistic theatrical speaker, she gives them to me because I can do them without thinking mm -hmm. and she finds them a bit fluffy. So, you know, be prepared to hand over to the interpreter who's happy doing uh, Mr. Finance Talk or Mrs. Finance Talk or to hand over to the interpreter who's really comfortable with the, the speaker who looks like they've just come, come off of Broadway. And please, I say this to my spoken language interpreting colleagues, please don't be precious about shift length. 
Um, anyone who comes into a booth that I'm in and, and sets a half an hour timer and says I'm interpreting for half an hour and then I'm going to finish, it's like, no, sometimes you work for half an hour, sometimes you work for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. sometimes you work for five minutes and you need to switch. Please don't interpret to a timer. Interpret to the natural break or when the interpreter is getting tired. Mm-hmm. If you bring a timer into my booth, I guarantee you it will go missing by uh, at break time and you will find it at the end of the day back on the desk. Okay, I don't like interpreting to a timer. I don't think it's useful. I don't think it's helpful. I don't even find it professional. Yeah, uh, I will slot your timer under your laptop if you bring a timer to the booth. Um, it's not a good idea. But but if you're working in a team, get the, the rules of engagement, if you like, together. But be flexible, for goodness sake. Yeah. So from your research, what advice would you give interpreters, signed or spoken language? From my research, I would say try to find out as much as you can about the organization that you're interpreting for and figure out where interpreting figures on their kind of organizational priorities. And basically, why are they doing this? So your prep should be different for an organization that's saying, look, we have to have an interpreter because we're legally required to, versus an organization that says we have a real vision, we want to reach the signing community, and we want to bring signing people into our leadership. Mm -hmm. Now, somewhere between those two is where your next assignment lies. Mm -hmm. And you should probably do your best to find out. So one, I have a standard brief that I ask clients to fill in. And one of the questions is, what is the purpose of this event? Would you like to know the question that gets least filled in by the clients is what is the purpose of this event? Mm -hmm. But we kind of have to know that. And if the client can answer that, at least asking questions, I don't know, I liked your question, how many people needing sign language interpreting are going to be there? Um, How far through your organizational calendar are we? Have there been previous events like this? Talking through where the event figures and where the interpreting figures in the event, really, really useful. And often clients have never thought of these questions before. And you're doing, I hate the phrase client education, but you're doing client education where you're at it. Mm -hmm. I would say that that's my biggest thing is is get to know the people who are commissioning your services and what their priorities are. And sometimes that is we need someone at the last minute because we've got a meeting with so-and-so and and we just have to have this meeting. Great. But at least figure out what the meeting's for. Yeah. It's interesting that they many times don't know what the purpose of their conference or their meeting is. Well, they say things like to inform people. It's like, yes, I know you're informing people. (laughs) Why are you informing people in Glasgow? And why are you informing these people? And why are you informing people now? Oh, because we have a conference every year. Right. Okay. Now I know. Yeah, exactly. So how do you see the future of interpreting evolving? There is no such thing as the interpreting future. There are many interpreting futures. (laughs) <laughs> that's the conclusion of my second book ah, I'm giving away the ending now there is no such thing as the interpreting future um, I'm currently finishing a series off my YouTube channel top saying the same thing so that the future of sign language interpreting in medical settings will be very different to the future of conference interpreting in the European Union mm-hmm. they are not the same they are not going on the same trajectory Their relationship to technology is not the same. Their relationship to the assumed value of interpreting is not the same. So, for example, I was made aware at a conference a few months ago in Helsinki of a new technology where people can do a kind of communication where they have a machine that's got pre-programmed phrases in different languages. And so if they're offering tea in the hospital, 
the person offering tea can press a button on a tablet that says in the language, would you like a cup of tea? No one's ever going to call an interpreter to ask a patient if they want a cup of tea. But the fact that that exists means that you can get stuff going and the the patient can get access to some form of communication without an interpreter. Mm -hmm. The fact that that exists is now going to change how and when interpreters are called. Mm -hmm. I think the one overarching thing that we're probably going to see for spoken language interpreting and maybe sign language interpreting following later is that there's going to be a variety of ways to do interlingual communication Interpreting being one and being the most expensive one, mm. which then means that overwhelmingly interpreters are going to be called either when the law requires or when you can't afford to mess up mm-hmm. or when it's so important that they have to get it right. Yeah. Which means that okay interpreting, the one thing that I would say is part of the interpreting future, okay interpreting is probably going to be not interpreting at all. Mm-hmm. Interpreting is either going to be excellent or not done by humans. Okay. Uh, it, it would say, especially in spoken language interpreting, it's either going to be excellent or it's going to be machines. Yeah. Sign language interpreting, you it's a little bit more complicated because you have the whole avatar situation, you have the whole community content situation. Mm-hmm. But similarly, you know, is there you have? I believe you have interpreter shortages across the world right now, yes. which means that you have space for mediocre interpreting to exist. Unfortunately, yes. Yes, and space for bad interpreting to exist. Mm-hmm. We have the space for mediocre interpreting to exist because of problems with contract with uh, public contracts, <laughs> where governments are contracting into agencies and blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. But mediocre interpreting has a pla- has exists right now and has a place. Mm-hmm. Mediocre human interpreting and even bad human interpreting exists. Yeah, I can't see any reason for that to exist when you can get something that looks like an interpreting from an avatar, from a machine, from a whatever. You know, anything procedural in sign language interpreting, I can't see a good reason for humans to still do it. Mm-hmm. When they can press button one and the machine says, welcome to Birmingham Airport. Mm-hmm. You know, any stuff that the sign language interpreter is just going through a script. Yeah. Well, why should we be there? We don't have a right to be there if there's a perfect version, mm-hmm. perfect and in inverted commas, that can be produced in the local sign language that they can call it by pressing one on a tablet. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Why, why get a human if the human's done it a hundred times before? No. That does mean that the non-procedural stuff, which is probably a bit more complicated, is when they're going to yank in an interpreter and say, why is this going wrong? Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah. yeah. So, I have to be either excellent or a robot. No pressure. None whatsoever. Hmm. Many things to think about from this episode, but uh, let me just narrow it down to a few. First, we do need to take a new look at our training, our education of interpreters, even our workshops. When we discuss theories or standards or codes of ethics even, we need to make sure that they actually can apply in a real way to real world interpreting so that we as the interpreters on the ground understand how to implement them and how to improve our service to the communities that we serve. One thing that many of us think about, but perhaps not as deep as we need, is to think about why does an organization or a business need interpreting? Why do they have us there? As always, the goal, the why, the purpose is the most important thing for any aspect of our interpreting. Looking into the future, we need to think about 
perhaps we are not always needed. Many times the clients that we serve could communicate somehow in a way that is appropriate and that is ideal for them. As sign language interpreters, we have to take into account the cultural and community-oriented perspectives. The power dynamics that are there is something that we have to think about when giving our services. Technology will and is a part of our lives now. There are many places that have push a button here and get a translation in your own language. And for certain aspects, this is perfect for a business or organization to connect with the communities that they serve. But we all know that they have to be flexible enough to understand when it is important to connect with a live interpreter, when they can't quite discuss something that's a legal nature or something very important or something very personal. One of the takeaways from this episode is that interpreting is not about you. It's not about us. It is about the communities that we serve, and therefore we must plan and use strategies that is best for our clients. Working in a team, we must use our skills in the team in the best way possible. It helps us decide whether we are the right interpreter for the job, or when we're working in a team, who has the responsibility for each part of this interpreting situation. Thank you for listening. Please remember to share any of these ideas and episodes with colleagues. You can always rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, which will help support this podcast. As always, keep calm, keep interpreting. I'll see you next week. Take care now. <laughs>